You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. They've picked up on it, and that's why I prayed first, is we need to pray before we hear this message for a particular reason, and that is what Jesus has to say to you this morning has the potential at the least to shock you and at the worst to offend you. That's because he talks about money. And whenever you talk about money in church, it begins to push in. There's almost, when you talk to friends in a congregation, there's like this subconscious spiritual door of our hearts that instinctively, even within these first couple of minutes, is going to start to close. And I'm just trying to stick my foot in the door before that closes off for you. Church, we've got to hold this open when we hear what Jesus has to say to us. And the reason it's going to be like that is because the Bible time and time again says that money exercises a spiritual power over us. That we are connected to it with some form of spiritual umbilical cord. And to be really graphic, that umbilical cord has us around the neck. And that's why Jesus, when he, Jesus, we think Jesus is talking about all sorts of different things. He's talking about morality and and all those sorts of things that we need to do, and sex in particular. That's what the Bible is about. That's what he teaches on. But would it surprise you to hear that Jesus talks about money 30 times greater than he talks about sex or any other form of morality in the Bible? Why is that? It exercises power over us. And when I came to this passage that we're going to read through, and the way that he links to the Old Testament, it shocked me, it stretched me, I believe it's going to do the same for you because when it comes to talking about money in church, I don't think the question really is, oh, should Christians give? In fact, we're a church that's represented a church that has given great sums of money. It's not so much should we be giving into the life of the church, but the question is, well, how, how much should I give? When we talk about generosity, and that's this series at the moment, what does it mean to have a radical generosity, not a technical generosity? A radical generosity, if you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at what it means to have a radical generosity in your heart, in the heart of hearts, that, uh, that, that you give away things of value in all areas of your life. So you give away your time and your money and your service. And so now we're looking here this morning at what does it mean to give away your money? And what does it mean? How much, really, the question is that we ask instinctively, how much do I need to give away to be radically generous? Should we speak into that? Okay. The first thing I see from Jesus' teaching here, this is for Dave, if anyone, this morning, (laughs) in Luke 11, is that radical generosity with your money actually has a standard a baseline, a floor, and Jesus says it's 10%. 10% of your income. Jesus is saying that there's actually a standard if you are living in generous proportion. He wants us to be generous people. And he says the way that you know that you are being radically generous is that you give away a tenth of your income or a tithe. Now, already there are some people here going, oh my goodness, I looked them up on the internet. They look like a snazzy church, but they're like one of those Hillsong churches, aren't they? They're talking about the 10%. Oh, of all the churches that I had to go to. Or some of you are thinking, oh, so we're going to become like Hillsong now, are we? 
You know, they're, they're those ones, those Pentecostals that talk about giving away 10% of your money. Here's what I want us to see. This is what shocked me. It's Jesus that's saying this. It's not about Hillsong Church, it's about Jesus' church. And in fact, ironically too, as a side note, when we want to think about Hillsong, anyone see the article, uh, not the article, the program from A Current Affair a couple of weeks ago where they slammed them for ripping off their congregants. What was fascinating is that uh, uh, John Standen, one of the uh, Media Watch guys for the Anglican Church, which if ever there's a little bit of an argy-bargy, it's between either sides of the Protestant spectrum, he did a little bit of research. And he said in 2013, Hillsong Church reported a total revenue of $85 million. And they have an average weekly attendance of 31,400 people. So taking out their Bible college revenues, the averages of their annual giving is that down to $2,216 per attender. So just like every church, Hillsong really doesn't attract a tithe. Rather than being a money-making machine, Hillsong is almost as poor at gaining offerings as the rest of Christianity. It says there that uh, he says in his article, while individual followers may give heroically, Hillsong's accounts do not paint a picture of a church that's ripping off its followers. Now, we're not affiliated with Hillsong Church. We're not one of those sorts of churches if you're thinking it's that sort of way. The point I want to make here is that the question is never whether Jesus' followers are to give away their money. The question always is in Christianity is whether they're giving away in biblical proportions. And Jesus says the way that you know that is 10%. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Why do you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Now, this is great. What do you see Jesus doing here? What's he saying? The Pharisees were tithers. They were giving away 10% of their rue and their mint. They were tithers. And so they were keeping the Old Testament rule that Dave read from in Leviticus chapter 27 that uh, a tenth of your first fruits of what you produced was to go to God, was to go to the temple in order to uh, care for the ministry of the temple and to go to the poor. And so here's what's so intriguing. Here's what's intriguing about it is because how does that apply to you and I? You know, when we come to those passages of Old Testament passages, we think, does that, does that apply to us? Does that apply to us? And there's good reason because there's lots of things in the Old Testament that don't quite apply, don't seem to apply. Like in Leviticus 19, it says no mixing of fibres. Don't mix wool and cotton. Don't do that. It doesn't look good. Trust me. <laughs> it says uh, Leviticus 19 also, uh, uh, don't grow a beard, which is just as well for me and my baby face looks. <laughs> um, here's an interesting one. <laughs> Look this up for sure. Look this one up. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 11 to 12. It says, ladies, if your men are in a fight, ladies, don't go to the other guy that your man is fighting and grab him by the private parts. <laughs> for real. Look it up. <laughs> Does it apply today? Um, that's the question. And what's our tenants? We go, oh, look, yeah, because oh, of all of that stuff, that, that doesn't apply. Now, here's the thing. The difference is whenever Jesus takes something out of the Old Testament and we see it through his teaching in the New Testament, we need to listen very carefully. And 100% of the time, it applies. It applies through the lens of Jesus' teaching. And so what does he do here? 
If ever there was a place that Jesus would do away with the regulations and loosening of the tithe and the 10%, it would be here. Because we've been talking all year about the way that Jesus pushed into the religious people and the way that they had these external legalistic standards, right? And so if ever there was a time, it would be here because Jesus is always yelling at the Pharisees. He's always yelling at them and their legalism. He's not yelling at the pimps and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He doesn't yell at them. Why is he yell at the Pharisees? It's because they took a bunch of re- regulations like tithing and they made that their basis of their rightness with God. And he says to do that is spiritual death. And so Jesus was always trying to shut down their regulations. But what does he do here? Does he say, does he say oh, you legalists, this whole idea of the tithe, it's old school, it's oppressive. No, what does he say? He says the tithe is good. You should have practiced the former, the latter, without letting go of the former. So here's what it means for us this morning, church. We need to take the tithe very seriously. How's, how's the door, by the way? Are we okay? <laughs> Have I still got a foot there? <laughs> five, five minutes in. Um, Jesus says there is a flaw, there is a baseline, there is a standard of generosity. And that is you can freely give away 10% of your income. And so how do you know how do you know you're in biblical proportions you start at 10%. Jesus sees the tithe as a very concrete way by which we can tell if we're investing for God in biblical proportions. Now, this raises all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Like like the questions like of like, well what if, what if I can't afford 10%? What if I'm not at 10%? Have I got to go and do that tomorrow? Do I give it all to the church? What they're the sorts of questions that pop up, right? So the second thing we see is that a radical generosity with your money does not only has a standard, but uh, it has a deeper stimulus for why you give. You see, he doesn't only reprimand the Pharisees here, but he also affirms them in verse 42. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all kinds of garden herbs, but you, but, but you neglect the justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So he affirms them for keeping the tithe, tithe and then he reprimands them. He criticizes them because they're only giving as much as the tithe. And so we see here that Jesus is saying this, this 10% is good, but I'm calling you to go beyond. To go beyond. You, need to, you need to keep that and, and practice the, the love and the justice and the mercy of God. Now, side note, what's really fascinating here is, can you see, see how we can have the dynamic between the legalist and the lovist that we talked about a couple of months ago? See, the legalist says, just get me the, the 10%. I'm just practicing my 10%. You know what the lovers does? They read this passage and says, it doesn't matter about the 10 as long as I love God and I practice a bit of justice. And, and Jesus goes straight down through the middle and he says, ah, it's both. And so he criticized them because they're, they're, they're not going beyond that. What does it mean? Here's the dynamic he was getting at. The, the Pharisees thought that once they had fulfilled the tithe, that they were no longer obligated to the community. That they were saying, just look, I wrote the check, so I'm not, I'm not obligated to go and do any more than this. I've written the check for the 10%, I'm done. And so as one commentator puts it, the, the demand of the Christian tithe can become a dangerous thing for it permits the false conclusion that the problem of money has been met and conquered. 
And that's perhaps the best interpretation of Jesus' teaching on the tithe here in Luke 11. It's always always got us by the neck, by the throat. And if you think that you fulfilled it with 10%, Jesus is saying, no, you've got to go, you're not going to be free if that's all you're about. And so I don't know about you, but that, that can be our approach, right, is that we think, we like to divvy up our little sections, our little wallets, our little envelopes, if you're the sort of person that budgets like that, that says, I've, I've got, I gave off my little section for God and the church and for other ministries I'm supporting. I've given that off and so then the rest is mine. You know how kids do that? Yeah, you, can, you can have that bit, but this is mine. <laughs> and Jesus is the great doctor. That's... He wants more than just that. That's it. See, it's like, it's like spraining your ankle and saying to the doc, hey, doc, what's, what's, what's the minimum amount of time and physio that I've got to do until I walk again? And the doctor says six weeks. Now, is it about six weeks? No. Of course, yeah, there's, there's a minimum amount required until you get healthy again, but the doctor's intention is that you would run and you spring and you jump. <laughs> and you're so much more than just moving back up to a position of health again. Jesus' desire for you is that you move to a level of joy and creativity and, and wonder in your giving that, that you move beyond the 10% that the Bible stipulates. And so what it means for us is that as a church, we, we, can't, we can't require, we can't compel our crew to be giving in uh, any particular amount of money here. But, but Jesus, is assume, Jesus assumes that his followers will go beyond some of you then say, well, what if I can't do percent, 10%? Now, there's a deeper measure here. And what's that deeper measure? It's sacrifice. The deeper measure, the deeper stimulus is sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament laws, uh, the Old Testament laws that Moses gave, uh, it would stipulate some of the sacrifices that you would bring to the temple. And so what you found is that some people could bring a pigeon along to the temple and others could bring a buffalo along to the temple. And so in other words, when the law called for animal sacrifices, it didn't require a flat offering. The Bible was nuanced enough to go, a pigeon for a person who is poor, that's a big sacrifice. And whereas a bullock or an oxen or cattle as a sacrifice for someone who was wealthy and had a lot of livestock, then that may not be much at all. And so here's the principle. A wealthy person today could give 20% of their annual income and, and not be sacrificing a huge amount of their lifestyle. And yet you could have a person coming into church and giving 3% of their income and they still feel like they're struggling to pay the rent. You see the correlation? That there's a sliding scale to this. God instituted a sliding scale. And what, what this means is if you're feeling pressured by that 10% is that Jesus is not so much interested in a percentage as he is in the sense of sacrifice. The sense that it, that it, it burns a little. You know, it's like at, at spin class. I've been back in the gym. I know you've been wondering. Yes, I'm back in the gym. Um, I, I, I go to spin class, and the job of the instructor, instructor there is you, you go there and you, you spin to music, you know, the techno music, and you spin to the music, and it's, it's up to you to determine uh, basically how much resistance you put on your bike, and so you get all sorts of people turning up to class. One person is sweating their guts out, they're sweating profusely, there's another lady over here and she's just cycling away, 
reading a book. <laughs> Who do you think's putting in the effort here? And so the gym instructor's always like, you've got to earn the burn. You've got to earn the burn. And so what they're saying is they can't get down off their bike and literally determine whether or not you're putting in the same level of resistance. It's up to you. And that's what Jesus says. When it comes to your giving, it's not so much about a set number as it is that sense of earning the burn. And I, look, I might be stretching the analogy too far, but I know when things are burning at the gym, that's when I know that I'm really growing. That's, that there's transform, transformation happens when there's the burn. And that's what God is saying to us through the teaching of Jesus. You know you get a sense that something happens when your giving impacts, when it stops you from making a purchase perhaps for a week. That it moves now from just a, a practice into an act of worship because your mind is taken out of the things of this world and, and you focus on God, you're stopped for a second in what you're doing and you say, Lord, I'm only in this position because I'm honouring you and I'm worshipping you. And, and we're, we're transformed by the burn you know you're being generous if it involves a bit of sacrifice. Yeah. Hey, can someone just check if... I don't know if you've got a Bible like mine. Can you just check if Luke 11.42... It's got red letters in it, hasn't it? Is it red letters in your Bible? It is. Okay. Phew. Okay. Because it's just... Red letters in mine mean that's the words of Jesus. And I just, I just wanted us to all be aware of that, okay, this morning. I'm, I'm the postman. Because if you're like me, it's, it's pressing in a little bit, right? I can sense that because we're all quite quiet this morning. It's not that we just slept in. Okay. He's pushing on it. It's good. Uh, there's red letters. It's the words of Jesus. So it's, it's doing this to us. He's, he's, he's pushing in against us. We're growing. We're feeling the burn. It's not just about the standard 10%. Uh, the stimulus is that sense of sacrifice that turns into an act, act of worship when we feel it. Finally, the sign of radical generosity with your money means that it springs out of you. The church doesn't have to wring it out of you. It springs out of you. The church doesn't have to wring it out of you. And guys, I've said this all along about this series. This is not a series where the cards are going to come down and we're going to get some nice patty music uh, for a five-minute session at the end of all of this and the buckets are going to come through and there's going to be cards and, and there's going to be a big emotional plea and we're going to put numbers up there on the screen for you and we're not talking about vision yet. And by the way, that stuff... The vision stuff, the, the, the call, the, the big move, that will happen for us as a church in the near future. But not now. Because my heart's desire and the challenge for us in this series is not to, to wring it out of us, but that we would develop a dynamic that it would spring from us naturally, beautifully. You see, here's the sign of radical generosity, that a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ always results in a radical change in your life and your attitude towards your money and your possessions. And we see that. If you go and read through, we've talked about him the other week, that little guy called Zacchaeus who went up the tree. <laughs> He's the ultimate example. He goes up. Jesus has lunch with him. He says, come down for some high tea. I want to eat with you. And Zacchaeus had been ripping everyone off. And he says, if I've ripped anyone off, you know what? I'm not just going to pay him back what the law says in the, in the Old Testament, his law then. I'm going to pay them back four times what it says. It was, it was an overflow. It was this beautiful, dynamic expression of joy when he received God's grace. And we've talked about that before. But here's the thing. If you go and read through, and ironically, if you read through 
most of Luke from 11 through to 20, you're going to get really confused. Because you're going to read through and you'll see when Jesus talks about money, pretty much it's the dominant theme through the whole back end of this chapter before he's about to go up to Jerusalem. And so you're going to read through, you're going to get confused because you'll see a story about the rich young ruler, right? What does Jesus call him to do? The ruler says, what might I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, good, okay, go away and give what? 100% of all that you own. Oh, how hard is it for a rich man to pass through? The, you know the verse. Um, then you go to Z- Zacchaeus and you see that he experiences Jesus. And what does he do? He gives away 50%. Then we read, read Luke chapter 11 and Jesus is calling us to give away 10%. So is it, are you guys as confused as I am? What is it, 10%, 50%, 100% of our money that we've got to give away? Here's the point to the whole theme of Luke onwards from 11 onwards. If you are asking God, how much do I have to give, then you are asking the wrong question. Because a person who has grasped what Jesus has done for them doesn't ask, what must I give? But they ask, what can I give? What not what must I give, but what can I give and still be responsible with what God has stewarded me with. And so what we learn from the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus is there's all these different proportions. And it's this, that it's, you might be the sort of person that, is, that could give away 20 and 30% of your wealth. And guess what? By the world standards, you would still be wealthy. On the other hand, like we said, the sliding scale, that you might be a person that could only give away 3% and there's an incredible sacrifice. But I don't know about you, but you and I, I just feel we've got this tendency to always say, how much should I give? And when we do that, church, what we're doing is we're moving back to the Pharisees' ways. We just want the minute, what's the minimum standard? And that's religion. We've talked about that before. Instead, a person who's been grabbed by Jesus and had this experience of his grace, begins to say, you know what, I can't wait to find some crazy way to push beyond the tithe, to creatively move in and invest and like Shark Tank. As Catherine said this morning, she's always got a great way of finding sermon illustrations here, but what are the, what are the ways that I can be the John McGrath of the kingdom world? What are the ways that I can go around and see God at work in various ministries and saying, you know what, I'm going to put some money in there. I'm going to try here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to watch this grow. I want to be a part of that business for the kingdom of God. I had this a couple of weeks ago in the most beautiful of ways. And guys, please, you must know, whenever I share with you like this, it's I don't want to be like the Pharisee. We've already been through that last week. But um, I had the, the coolest experience uh, overseas, uh, over in Israel, and it had nothing to do with the Holy Land. We were, we were sitting down at the hotel with a whole bunch of pastors from around the world. And, and, and prior to that, I've, I've been supporting a missionary that was uh, part of us here at Northside. And he went to go and work for Campus Crusade for Christ. And he went on this crazy venture where he's going to start making feature films that start telling the story of the gospel. And so he, uh, I thought, all right. And it's been like two to three years since he's gone off and done that and he's living in Melbourne now. Anyway, I'm sitting on the other side of the world and this pastor comes up and we're all sitting around the table there. And I said, you've got to see this amazing new tool that I've picked up for campus ministry. And he opens up his laptop and he starts playing through um, this feature film, short film for about five minutes, that's got nothing to do with the gospel. It's just this incredible story of a girl with flowers and a guy that's chasing after her. 
And at the end of it, it, it allows people to move into evangelistic discussions around what the film represents. And the whole lot tracks the gospel story. And the pastor's there saying, you should look at this. It's a, it's, a feature, it's a feature film that tells the story of the gospel. And then it suddenly dawned on me. I went, this is Chris's film. And then this other pastor of a megachurch of 18,000 people, he goes, man, that is the coolest thing I've seen. I'm going to take that back to my church in Kentucky. I don't know what people could do with that. And for the first time after three years, I just got a kingdom return on my investment from the Shark Tank. We've been supporting him and, and on the other side of the world and nowhere near him. God, it just it sunk over me in a, in a joy. I thought, they don't know. They've got no idea, but I've been, a, I've been a part of that. I'm a shareholder in that. I've invested in that. And I don't know if that pastor's going to take that to a church of 18,000 in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if 10,000 people get saved by that video. Maybe if it was just 500. But I tell you what, a heck of a lot more people are going to be impacted by that through what I did through that investment and through all the others that partnered with him that I could ever do myself. Now, isn't that the dynamic too in giving into God's kingdom, by the way? you like me where you find when you give into God's kingdom, your life becomes bigger. It doesn't become smaller. We're part of something bigger now. We're always looking for ways to push beyond. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to give away a lot. Maybe you're saying you don't have enough to give away. Maybe it's going to be 50%. Maybe it's 10%, 3%. But here's the thing. Jesus says, I am calling you into the greatest adventure you could ever be a part of. And you're asking, how much is it going to cost? He says, I don't know how much it's going to cost. Could cost you a little bit. It could cost you the whole lot. Look, there are people here in this place who, who could have or would have had incredibly lucrative careers and they were called into ministry or to some other form of job for God and they left it all behind. They're like the rich young ruler. They gave away 100%. There are people, on the other hand, who are called into lucrative careers and do an amazing job because God's not only given the gift of giving, given, he's given them the gift of earning. And they're a bit like Zacchaeus. They give away a whole lot. Then we have those who are part of the standard and the 10%. Look, if, let me finish with this. If, if you're saying to yourself, and hopefully the door hasn't closed, if you're saying this is ridiculous to even talk about giving away 10 or 20 or 30 or 50% of my money, if you're saying that this morning, then you haven't got the gospel. That's what I've been challenged with. When I talked to one of my leaders about this, whenever I preached on this, she said to me once, you know, Sam, I get this. It's just I feel scared. I feel scared when I approach this because I don't know if I want to. It's not about our headspace this morning. It's about getting the gospel. How do you get the gospel? What do you do? You do what Zacchaeus did and you get up a tree in order to see Jesus a bit closer. And when you see Jesus closer, you see a guy not emptying his wallet or his pockets of money. You see a God who is emptying himself of his son so that you could become his treasure and his valued possession. And when you get a sense of that, you begin to empty your little pockets because he's emptied his big pockets. Yeah. You know, when we're Christians, when they consider generosity, we don't reach for a calculator, we reach for the cross. We see God's generosity poured out upon us in that, and we just let that work and melt into our hearts. <sighs> 
God says in Malachi, put me to the test. <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, all the rest of the Bible says don't ever put God to the test. Uh, this is the one area that he says do put me to the test. Now, Jesus says elsewhere, right, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You know what I find fascinating about that? Every other thing I'm preaching about is saying, let your action flow from your heart. And this is totally the other way around. Your money has to be the other way around because of the power. Your money is the one area of your spiritual life where it won't flow from your heart, where in fact you have to do the action first and then the heart will follow. And so in that sense, what have you got to do this morning? What is it? What does it mean for you this morning? No one knows whether or not you can handle the test that God has put in front of you. I'm not going to know as your pastor. I don't look at what everyone gives. Only only God is going to know. Only God through his spirit is the one that is going to work with you in terms of this radical generosity. But imagine this church. Imagine this. If we were a church that got this. Imagine if we were a church where it just begun to spring forth rather than we had to wring it out of people. Can you imagine how attractive that would look to people? Can you imagine how attractive it would look as a church if we're in that scenario where, where, where the ministers had to catch up on where we're going with giving and we're thinking about the ways that we're going to put new people on and work through and new ministry programs and do that because we've got blessings flowing into us that is more than we can handle can you imagine a church where the, the resources coming in are flowing out like shark tank moving into all sorts of entrepreneurial ventures can you imagine a church where we are, we are getting such blessings from our resources here that we have to get those that have got the gift of earning in our congregation to come around and form boards about ways that we creatively invest in kingdom ventures can you imagine what that would look like to the world It's a good thought. But until we get into the discipline of giving our money away, and not just giving away, but in biblical proportions, um, there's not going to be any growth. And it's not a message to wring it out of us this morning. God needs to grow you and I into the sort of people that are radically generous. If we wring it out, then the whole thing just it will fade in a year. But I believe that he, he wants to birth a dynamic in you and I where, where we just are stretched and in so doing are overjoyed at the wonder that it is to partner with him in his ministry and to see the way that he can impact the world through our resources. The only way that we're going to do it, church, is, is to be constantly looking, not once a year or every couple of years, but constantly looking at what we do with our money. And in so doing, we need to come in and we need to examine how we spend our money and why we don't give more than we do and why we're not repenting of the reasons why we don't and then rearranging ourselves so we spend it on the things that God wants us to because if we don't, if we don't push through the fear and the pain and the resentment of such examinations, we'll deny ourselves the greater freedom and the greater joy of becoming people that are just radically generous. Let's pray.